ever struggle with the stress of wanting to do it all and feeling overwhelmed? Many people do, but especially women in leadership roles face unique challenges. In today's program, you can learn five practices that help one woman in leadership role, Tara Elizabeth Lenner. Hopefully what works for her may work for you too. And you can lead your life with confidence and connection with minimum stress and maximum joy. Hello, my name is Dr. Rosina and with me is Tara Le Elizabeth Lenner. Hi, Dr. Rosina. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me. You're welcome. So let me introduce Tara. Tara is a mother of two, a coach for women, new to leadership, and host of a Facebook group, Mindful People Managers. After a successful but stressful career in clinical drug development, she developed certain practices that helped her transform her stress, develop a work-life balance, and dedicate to developing future generations of C-level executives that come up the ranks leading with confidence and connection. And I am MD psychiatrist at Shifa Health, a clinical professor at University of Washington, and an author of the best-selling book and online course, Stress to Joy. You are watching Happy and Healthy Mind with Dr. Rosina. So today we are going to hear Tara's story and her five practices of coping with leadership stress. And my special at the end, it is a tool that you can apply in your daily life. So stick till end to, so that you can learn that tool. And make the best of, best of this time by asking questions and sharing your ahas in the comment section. So uh, Tara, why don't we start with you and uh, can you share why it is so important that we learn to manage the stress of wanting to do it all and share some of your, uh, your story? Yeah, sure. Again, thank you so much for having me on your show today. So I am the mother of two, as you mentioned, I have two little girls, age five and three. And so, you know, my journey on parenthood combined with having a successful career and a happy marriage and everything else started officially about five years ago. And I will say that it was a tremendous adjustment. And it's one that, you know, I'm still adjusting to. I think that's just part of the nature of parenthood, right? But where I was, I was in a corporate position, you know, high mid-level management, and I was traveling frequently, working very long hours. I had now a, a newborn and then uh, 18 months later, another newborn, and I was really struggling. Things that had been held together before because I had not yet been a parent, such as dinners every night, you know, on the table, that completely went by the wayside. Laundry was piling up. My expectation and my ideas of what life would look like were not happening, right? And I was not the person that I wanted to be. I, like I mentioned, I, I was traveling very frequently. I actually, one of, looking back, one of my first aha moments that still took me a long time to act upon was I missed my oldest daughter's first birthday. I was away for a business trip. And, I, and obviously I knew that I had to be, it was a meeting that I couldn't not attend. It was a meeting I, or I felt, let me rephrase that. It was a meeting I felt I couldn't not attend. It was heartbreaking to me. And I vowed that would never happen again. And of course, though, my one-year-old luckily doesn't know. And I can't even believe I've shared this here because I had not previously shared that in any public forum. But, you know, that was probably the first sign, the first huge sign for me that things were not in the balance that I wanted. Now, 
I, I will say I'm stubborn and I kept thinking I could do it all, right? So although country all <laughs> <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah. So I kept banging my head against that wall until I finally came to a realization that the problem wasn't with me that I couldn't do it all. The problem was with the idea that anyone could do it all. And I think that, you know, we, especially women, and this does apply to men too, but I, I see it more with the women that I coach. We feel a responsibility to own it all. We feel a responsibility to do everything. I went through phases, you know, with my husband who is incredibly supportive, incredibly a partner where I would just get angry because he didn't see what needed to get done. So I might as well just do it myself, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be too controversial here, but has anyone else ever felt that or or wondered how a person can walk by a pile of laundry and not think to throw it in the laundry machine? Yeah. You know, I never realized it, but I could relate to it. <laughs> yeah. So I I think that women more often than not feel this need to do it all. And it's an unrealistic need. You you can't do it all. You can have it all when you identify what it all is, but you can't do it all. So I reached a breaking point, right? I was constantly in meetings, you know, at 10 p.m. with my team in China, I was getting up at four to meet with my team in the EU. And I felt because I was making dinner and having dinner on the table around dinner time, I was succeeding, right? I was there with my family for that. But the fact of the matter is my health was suffering. I fortunately did not have a major health crisis, although I know with certainty that if I had continued down that path, I would have, right? I was, I was constantly stressed. My jaw would would lock anytime I'd go to open my mouth to try and eat. It would it would click. I, I seriously had TMJ. Yep, and that I, I wasn't enjoying life. Right, I wasn't a happy person. I wasn't who I knew I could be any longer, and I wasn't showing my kids, my girls, that women can be successful, can have careers, and can be happy. And, and, you know, of course my marriage was, was not in as good a place as it has been since. Um, it was just, everything was falling apart. And so after my second child was born, I did a series of back-to-back -back overnight flights. Like I live on the West coast. I had a client on the East coast where there was a significant problem. You know, it was a huge book of business for my corporation. I would fly out Sunday night on the red eye to have a Monday morning meeting. And then I'd fly back Monday to be home. And that is not balance. That is not my idea of success. And yes, I was getting it done and I was minimizing my time away from my family, but I was miserable. So when I was with my family, I wasn't who I wanted to be. And as a manager of, of a large team of people, I wasn't showing up at work the way I wanted to be because I was so spent. So it, it just all came to a head and something needed to change or I was going to break. So it was affecting your health. It was affecting your family. It was affecting your work. Everything was affected. So what differences did you notice after you made these changes? Yeah. Yeah. So everything is interconnected, right? And we have to remember that. I will say, you know, going back to my awareness of the situation when my oldest turned a year, it took a while to make the changes to where I even feel confident talking with you today about this. So the first thing that I will say is that it, it doesn't happen overnight. There is no major change that happens. It's a series of little changes. 
Now I can happily tell you that I am uh, running an organization where I feel in control and I'm empowering the people that work with me to be in control of their personal and professional lives. I also have the balance in my in my home. You know, I'm here with my family as I want to be, but I've also let go of some stuff that I had felt were my responsibility that that weren't necessarily my responsibility. Right? The yeah. forty hours of work uh, or forty hours a week work week combined with like having dinner on the table every night and and beautifully bathed children every night, you know, that <laughs> that is a relic of post-World War II. And we need to talk more about the fact that that's really not feasible for every family. That's so true. So can you share some of those routines or tools that you utilize to make this change from where you were to where you are? Yeah, of course, of course. And so I'd like to start by saying again, it, it's little things, right? There's not going to be any huge monumental shift you're not going to go away on a retreat for six months in silence, you know, as a mother of two young children and find yourself again. It's, it's making the little changes and, and figuring out what works for you. So the very first thing I would advise everybody and I coach my clients on is having a morning mindfulness practice, taking time at the beginning of the day for some self-care, whatever that is and whatever that means for you right? Whatever fills your cup. Now, I, I find a lot of resistance and I'm naturally a morning person. So this did come a bit easier for me, although I will say there are those dark winter mornings where 5 a.m. comes way too soon, right? So, so I carve out the 5 to 6 a.m. hour because that is a time when my family should not yet be up. Occasionally, <laughs> somebody gets up, but, but more often than not, I get at least an hour, sometimes 45 minutes, right? And, and, for me, during that time, I spend time in meditation, time in yoga, and, and journaling. That is my alone time. I know that I need that. It sets the stage for the rest of the day. If I wait and try and carve out time later in the day, you know, life gets messy and it doesn't happen regularly and I don't show up the way I want to. So if I set the stage for the entire day and get that time in, it, it almost doesn't matter what else happens that day because I am showing up the way that I want to as a mother, as a leader, as a wife, as a woman representing and showing the world how I want to show up. That's wonderful. That's so true. Like, you know, for me too, morning routines are so important. And for me also, I could really relate to as you were talking, because I'm also naturally a morning person. But before I started applying some of the tools in my life, I used to get up and get going right away. Yes. Mm -hmm. So yeah. now I have a more, uh, and, and some days I would kind of lay down and just kind of read something and stuff. But since I started my journey, you know, my journal, my gratitude journal mm -hmm. was my starting point. So okay. I would do my gratitude journal. I also would do a prioritization for the day. I will do my meditation and my prayers. Yeah. And then I would kind of just go. And since the COVID started, I started doing my treadmill. And then, nice. and mm -hmm. then when I'm going to the shower, that's when I start waking up my kids and say, okay, let's go ahead and do the breakfast together. And then, you know, working from home has been so stressful. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. when there's kind of no boundary. So uh, after a few weeks of like, you know, this boundaryless trying to get adjusted, I developed this thing. Okay, so this is the time I start my work and this is the time I end my work. For sure. uh, Yeah, and that has really helped to cope. So morning practice is very important in my life. Oh, just one, if we can go back to the morning practice. I I think that those of us that are morning people do tend to just rush into the day, start on whatever's on our to-do list. The intention, right, that you can set when you emphasize time for yourself for that morning practice is what changes that 5 a.m. hour from getting a jumpstart on the day to really setting the stage for the day to be phenomenal. So it's it's that intention and, and that's the difference. And for those that are evening people, I, I do just want to say that you can train yourself and it doesn't have to be 5 a.m. Maybe your morning practice starts at seven. And if that works for you and you can do it then, then that's fabulous. There's a much greater chance that you're going to do it with more focus and with a greater frequency if you carve out the time in the morning though. Wonderful. So share us your second routine. So my second, my, my second thing that I, I did and I kind of continuously do is, is I call my to-do list, right? What is on my to-do list that I haven't necessarily put on there, but that society has that doesn't have value to me? And I keep going back to the dinner thing because this was something that come 5 p.m. every day was just this huge source of stress and anxiety. The fact of the matter is, I don't have time to cook dinner. My husband doesn't have time to cook dinner. We try. We we live in a fairly remote place where we don't have a lot of restaurants that we can order takeout from. So so you know what? The fact of the matter is a lot of times dinner salad and cheese and crackers. And that's okay. You know, it's important to me that my family have healthy food, but that doesn't mean that I need to spend an hour prepping. Now, on the flip side, now that my girls are getting a little bit older, we will you know, when we have a little bit more time, sit and cook a family meal together. And that's wonderful. So we probably do that about two to three times a week. But if I'm planning to do that, and then for some reason, things get, you know, things carry away in the work day or something else has come up, I let it go. And I'm okay serving a salad and cheese and crackers. So that is one thing that, you know, taking things off your to-do list. And next is, just moving on to number three, because I think that these two really go hand in hand is knowing your values and making your decisions or making decisions based on your values, right? So when you know that healthy food is important, but serving up a home-cooked meal every night isn't, then you can accept salad and cheese and crackers or some variation of that. Or you can make a decision as a family. You know, my husband and I have sat and thought about things that we can outsource right? It's important for us that our kids learn to clean up, but we don't necessarily want to spend time cleaning our house when we could have valuable time together as a family. You know, time is important to us. So we do pay for support, you know, in terms of domestic help there. And that's where knowing your values is important. You know, that that when we're budgeting comes out of a bucket of you know, things mean less to us and time together means more to us. And and being present and being able to enjoy our time together is what's most important to us. So we really make value-based decisions there um, because, you know, it's all a trade-off of time, money, and, and energy. And so figuring out what works best for you is really important. Any questions about those two steps? 
Well, I think the fourth point also kind of plays together. They all as, like, do. as you were talking about, <laughs> yeah. you know, what kind of learning you want to mm-hmm. have your kids go through. So why don't you talk about point four? Sure. So, you know, we all leave a legacy. We all leave memories, even when we're still around, you know, our, our kids, once they're grown, will have memories of what their childhood was like. And so every day we have this opportunity to create what our legacy is, right? What we want to have in our minds as our legacy, what we want our, our children and our spouses to see. And so we have this wonderful opportunity to shape that as we go. So thinking about, you know, what you want your kids to remember, what you want your kids to see. When when you and I were talking before, Dr. Zina, I think this was really important. You had asked me if the solution is for women not to be in leadership roles. And I, I can't adamantly enough say, no, that is not the solution at all. It is figuring out what is most important and, and choosing to show what you want to show to your children and, and modeling that behavior, right? And living it. And when you're finding joy in it, it's really easy to do so once you get started. And then you find that you're not able to do all, all yep. of this. <laughs> well, you have to be kind to yourself and you have to be flexible because we're always growing. We're always evolving. Life is changing and handing us different scenarios. You know, obviously the pandemic has made that apparent to all of us. So things change. You need to be flexible. You need to be kind to yourself and know that as you continue to show up every day, you will have good days. You will have bad days. Sometimes this will be easy. Sometimes this will be hard, but the more consistently you practice, the easier it will be overall. And so it's really just showing up and forgiving yourself and moving forward. And again, I think that's a fabulous thing to be able to model for your children, for your spouse and and for others in the community. Yeah. And like this being flexible is so important because, you know, you know, when things are rigid, they break faster. That's so true. Then Mm -hmm. they they are resilient. Yes. And so that applies in life too. It does. So, it so, does. So many aspects of life. And and showing up at work as well, right? Yeah. All of these things that I'm talking about are, are probably related to home life, but our home life and our work life are not separate. And, and again, with the pandemic, that has become more apparent than ever, right? People are seeing more and more of each other's lives. I myself have worked from home since 2011, so I'm used to juggling this, but it's different now. It's very different now. Yeah. So how did you end up coming up with this mindful people manager? Well, so as I said, you know, as I was reaching my breaking point, I was showing and and seeing firsthand what it's like to manage people when you are not showing up mindfully, right? When you are not thinking through how you want to have tough conversations because you're not carving out the time to doing to do that. You are not showing up as present. And I, I was seeing what was happening to my teams in terms of their responsiveness to me. And I was reflecting a lot on leaders that I had had in the past, those that were phenomenal and those that were less than phenomenal. And, and so often managers really get a bad rap. And I think that managers really can change the world because they have this opportunity to show, again, in, in a similar way that parents do, to show people a, a way of being that is empathetic, but that is, you know, still wanting to achieve. And I 
really felt that I had a message to share and that I could help other managers out there. And so that's what I'm doing now. And it's just a phenomenal journey. Wonderful. And so if people want to join, we'll put the uh, link in the comment section. And would you, would you like to share some tips or tools that you share in these groups? Sure, sure. So one thing that we have to do a lot as managers is provide feedback. And it's something that can create a lot of anxiety, both for a manager and for a person receiving feedback. And the best way that we've found and what we coach our managers on doing is really being very intentional in how to provide feedback. Words matter. Having this scripted, having it well thought out so that it's not reactionary, but rather it is building upon one's strengths and helping them to see an opportunity for improvement in an environment that feels safe is critical to giving feedback. And giving feedback is really critical to being a great manager. It's critical for how you help your team grow and move forward. So this that Dr. Rosina is showing right now are a series of journal prompts, and we can provide this PDF to you if anybody's interested. You you start first with the strengths that your employees have, and then you might have a really blunt version of the feedback you want to give. This would be the feedback that the not mindful manager would give. This would be the feedback of the of the manager that has had sort of an amygdala hijacking and isn't engaging their prefrontal cortex with the degree that you know you want to. So getting this all out is important because it allows you, and writing it is really critical because it allows you to get this on paper and and release it from your being so that you don't have the accidental uh, potential of of sharing it in the blunt version with your employee. And then you you think about how you would want to receive that. And you write down a better way to say that. And you might script out a couple of different ways. You might find that this is tough and you're not ready to do it now. So you leave it and you walk away. So this is a journal prompt PDF that we provide to, to people that we coach. And it's just one of the many ways in which we help coach managers to lead with confidence and connection. Are there any questions on this? I have a question. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to give the feedback right in the moment. Mm -hmm. Or there are days when, you know, you are under pressure because you have to manage certain financial targets and Mm -hmm. things are not going right. How do you stay mindful in those moments? And how do you, because you appreciate your employees because they are helping you achieve your goals. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when, people are not at the same wavelength or they're not understanding Mm -hmm. what situation you are in. And so how do you take care of yourself while taking care of others? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, And that does all tie into having a mindfulness practice. So the more that you're practicing mindfulness day in and day out in situations that aren't high pressure situations, the more you will show up to those high pressure situations and be able to take a step back. Now, that does take time, right? It does not happen overnight, but the more cognizant you are of it, the the easier it becomes. And so, yes, if you need to give feedback on the fly, having a just a daily mindfulness practice is important. And you might not be able to craft out the exact message you want to give, but the more in tune you are with the situation, the more in tune you're trying to be with the employee that you're giving feedback with, and the more empathetic you're feeling and, and communicating the better the on the fly feedback will be. And then there are other times where we just mess it up. 
still, no matter how, how many years we've been meditating, no matter how many years we've been journaling, we are human and we will still mess it up. And so that's where that final advice of being flexible and, you know, being kind to yourself, forgiving yourself, and of course, apologizing, right, to your employee. If you have, in, if you have hurt your employee, apologize or your team member. Say, you know what, I'm really sorry about the way that I gave that feedback. I know it hurt you and I'd like to try again or, you know, some variation of that. Don't hesitate to be humble about this. That's another thing that we want to model, right? We want our, our employees or our team members to know that when they mess up, that's, a, that's human, right? It's going to happen. And we would like them to exhibit that same behavior of apologizing and trying again. I think that's such a great advice. I think it's going to help me too. <laughs> And so this is uh, this is very helpful. And please share, audience who's listening. Please share if what you're hearing could help you. Do you feel like you can relate to and you can apply some of these tools in your life? And before we go into the special, just want to remind that you can get the resources shared in this program, the the guide to giving feedback by texting joyful to the number three eight four seven zero and we'll share the resource page with all the links uh, from the different programs that we share. And then this program, these programs that we are doing, our purpose is to bring health and happiness to more than a million people. So when you share and when you give the comments, you are participating in that mission of bringing health and happiness. So please join the mission. Tara, there's one comment that is coming that, let me share this comment. I think this is important that have ground that many women also may over volunteer in needed services, mm -hmm. become micromanager and try to be infallible. And that's so true. I, I see that all the time. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about it? Yeah, it, it's definitely true. We, I think we see it all the time. We probably feel it all the time. And this goes to, to my interpretation of what I feel is what society or what we grow up thinking we need to do. And that's where knowing your values and making decisions based on your values are really critical. So when I'm thinking about what we're, and obviously the pandemic has thrown this all off, but normally what I want to do outside of my, my, my scope now, what I want to volunteer, when I want my family to be places, we have to really think about what that means, you know, to our families and to our values. And so being able to know what your values are and make decisions based on them helps people, I think, to say no, because it is really important to say no, to protect the time that you have. We all have the same number of hours in a day and some of us use it differently than others. But you can use that for the greater good as well, right? And and recognize that you might go through phases in your life where it's it's less possible to volunteer as much as you would like, and know that that too will change, right? Everybody has different phases in their life, and parenthood is is just a series of many many different phases. Wonderful, thank you. What do you think about that and about well, yeah, overcommitting? I, I am very and women I, do. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, I really believe service is a very high value system for me. And so I struggle with that. I go through that. I see that going on all the time. And so just knowing that, seeing where would you be most beneficial, that has helped me. That's a so great question to ask. I am sick. 
I'm not mm-hmm. beneficial. Mm-hmm. If my family is suffering, then I cannot be at peace and be beneficial. Yeah. So what can I do to be beneficial, most beneficial on a long-term basis? And that helps me I to decide. So not to just not do anything versus right. not to do all the things, but like mm-hmm. I said, getting identifying what would help you the most to fun- to help the most in the long run. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question. And, and, and it goes to what we as I think humans want to do is, is be beneficial, right? How can we help the most people? And, and to your point, if you're not feeling well, you're not helping people. That's right. So uh, do you have any last minute message before we go into my special? I just would like to encourage everybody to talk about this more, talk about the fact that it's not someone's fault that they can't do it all. It's the idea that anyone can do it all. And to be kind to yourself as you embrace that message and as you work to find the balance that you have right now in your life and then be flexible as life changes. Okay. All right. Thank you. And let's discuss the special for today. Today's special is mindful cooking. (laughs) So do you ever find that cooking becomes kind of a chore and a burden? And I know you like cooking, but sometimes it is not that joyful. Do you go through those phases? Sometimes, for sure. (laughs) And so all of us go through those things from time to time. And as you were talking about cooking, I thought this would be a great special to talk about. And so what happens is, we can bring mindfulness in all aspects of life, including cooking. Right? Mm-hmm. So how do you bring mindfulness? What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is moment-to-moment awareness, intentionally and non-judgmental. Okay? So there is intention, there's awareness, and there is non-judgment. All right? So first you want to make intention. So you want to say, okay, I'm going to cook mindfully today. As you are making the choices thinking about what's the purpose you know like you said we want to bring healthy food to our family Mm -hmm. so what is the purpose it is your love for your family and your care that you want to bring healthy food to your family so that is your intention and Mm -hmm. so then when you are choosing the food stay in the moment being aware of what you are picking you know using all your senses enjoy the colors the smell the texture as you are going through the preparation phase you know be aware of how your body is feeling how your mind is feeling instead of you know thinking about what you're going to do next focus on how your body you know be grateful for all the process and enjoy that activity as you're cooking kind of remember that love for your family and as you are doing and you know if you're religious and you you can kind of have the prayers going in your heart or you know, just stay in the moment of Uh, enjoying that process and sometimes you know it's a half an hour an hour i'm not saying don't enjoy the music or don't enjoy anything else but stay aware because before i used to i sometimes i still do that but you know it's all a practice right and then i remember oh i need to make this phone call or i need to do this email and i run away and then things get burned (laughs) (laughs) and so you want to stay in the moment you want to enjoy the process you want to utilize all your senses to be completely present completely aware and be non-judgmental even if you digress you are coming back be Mm non-judgmental be kind to yourself and maintaining those mindfulness attitudes 
while doing the process and enjoying the process can make this process simple process of cooking or preparing the meal also joyful so what do you think i think that's a beautiful description of what happens when you're really cooking with attention and with mindfulness and you know another thing just to add on to that is like i said as my as my girls are getting bigger they show a lot of interest of, and it's a way that we are together as a family so the more present i am the more i am showing them mindfulness in practice right and and i can share with them the smell of the pepper and the smell of the onion and emphasizing just taking in all the tastes and textures and and enjoying being together and it's a it, you've you've totally made me excited about cooking lunch as a family this saturday so so i, I really appreciate remind it. everybody that health and happiness is not static it's mm-hmm. a it's a process and you can always apply these simple techniques in your life make simple decisions and make your life healthier and happier to that note stay safe happy and healthy see you next week thank you dr zena bye